when I was in Bible school many, many years ago. It was set up on a plan where guest speakers would come in every week. They'd come off the field. They'd be missionaries. They'd be apostles or prophets or pastors or different people having different gifts, and they'd come in and teach for a week and then leave. And we had one guest who was a missionary and, uh, to Honduras. And uh, he came in and he shared a vision that he had had as part of his teaching. He was, I, I don't remember the subject now, but I never forgot the vision. He said he was on his knees in his living room, praying, worshiping the Lord. He said all of a sudden, suspended in front of him, he said it was like a, a television screen, a movie screen. And he could see that it was a Bible scene of some kind. People dressed in that period costume. As he studied it, as he looked at it, he ended up going into it and finding himself standing among people of the Bible, all dressed in their robes and turbans. And he found himself in a desert place. And there's just thousands and thousands of people. He could hear a voice. This guy had raised his voice and was just preaching powerfully about the mercy of God. And when he would say that, people would fall. They'd be slain in the spirit by the glory of the Lord. He said it was just like pickup sticks, the game pickup sticks, where they're just strewn all over the landscape. He said it was like a, a wave, a liquid wave of love that would wash over the people, and people would begin to cry and cry out to God, and they would fall on the ground and repent and cry out to God for forgiveness. And he said the young man that was preaching was John the Baptist. I'd like to have seen something like that. But what it did for me is I never liked John the Baptist. All I'd ever seen of him were the movie versions where he looks like a crazy Andre the Giant kind of figure with a long scraggly beard. And he just looks a little weird, a little strange. And, and uh, he's like, he's a little crazy, unpredictable, a little extreme, a little radical. People would be in the wilderness and he'd jump out from behind a rock and say, repent, with a bony finger. I've heard preachers preach that John would, you know, would have a locust leg hanging out the corner of his beard and spittle. and They just made him look like he was a, a bit crazy. Well, when I heard that vision, I decided to look into John and see what I was missing because I thought, I thought that he was threatening people to repent or else, you know, and the idea that he was preaching God's mercy was a whole new thought for me. And so I decided to study, and there's a lot in the Bible about John the Baptist. Isaiah mentions him. Malachi mentions him. Uh, he's a, a character very much like Elijah. You could study Elijah and see a lot of similarities. But Sylvia was here last Sunday night, and she started talking about John the Baptist, and she talked a bit more about him to me in person after, just saying, I really feel like it's something in this for your people. 
And, um, and she started with Malachi. And if you can find Malachi, you go to Matthew. Then the last Old Testament book, a very small book, is Malachi. And if you're Italian, it's Malachi. Malachi. Just go to Malachi. But the book of Malachi ends with a description of a man coming called Elijah who had turned the hearts of the nation back to God by, by causing the hearts of the fathers to go back to the children and the hearts of the children to go back to the father. And all this was going to happen before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And so Malachi prophesies that. And then there's 400 years of silence. 400 years of no word from God. 400 years of no revival, no move of the Spirit, no, no leadership. 400 years of, of, of barren spirituality so that, so that when we see John come out and start to emerge as, as Elijah, preparing the way, preparing the way for the coming of the Lord, demons are comfortable going to synagogue. Jesus, when he walked in the synagogues, demons would go crazy. Uh, people are raising hogs, which was forbidden by the law, law, and they're raising them by the thousands, legions of hogs. People are, people are distant from God. Their heart is hard and cold and uninterested in spiritual things. And, and, and the, governant, the governing uh, uh, people over the nation of Israel are pagans. They worship demons. They, they are homosexual and they are uh, uh, philosophers and living in vain philosophy. They, are, uh, they worship multitude of idols. I mean, they are very different from the people who they're governing. And all those things were forbidden of those people. And they, they, yet they're just doing it as the ruling uh, political party over the nation of Israel. I mean, it's a terrible condition. They, they believe the opposite of everything that the people were taught to believe what the law had said. And there had been a bit of a revival uh, some years before where a group of people wanted to get people back to the Bible, and they're called Pharisees, and they reintroduced reading the Bible. And they, they would insist, we got to get back to the Bible. And they, were, they called themselves the people of light, and they tried to get the nation to come back to the book. So they become the people of the book again. But that whole movement got steered off. And, and next thing you know, it just became this legalistic, controlling, almost Taliban kind of uh, radical zeal that they, they didn't love the people. They loved the rules, but they didn't even keep the rules themselves. That kind of hypocrisy drives you crazy. It causes you so you don't even want to go to church. And then when you go to church, if you went to temple, it wasn't anything like it was you heard your father or grandfather or previous generations or when you read about David and Solomon in the temple. Temple, you're just going to get ripped off 10 different ways. They're going to take your money and they're going to exchange it and you're going to get short. And they're going to, you're going to have to buy their stuff, their doves, their sheep. It's just, it became such a corrupt system. Jesus called it a den of thieves. So even if you did want to get back to God, it was a, it was a minefield of corruption, where church, so to speak, is corrupt. So who would want to go back to God? Who would want to f navigate that whole system of a minefield of legalism and, 
and the corruption in the system, and there's no justice, and the, you finally go to synagogue, and there's guys who are leading it have demons. I mean, it's just awful. So 400 years, think of the pilgrims coming to America and establishing America in the 1600s. It was even before that. 400 years is a long time to never have a move of God. Can you imagine having gone by four years without a move of God? Much less 400 years of nothing, silence. Malachi spoke, he ended, and there's nothing. Until you get to Luke chapter 1, and an angel comes to the temple and begins speaking to John the Baptist's dad, because John the Baptist isn't born yet, and he begins speaking to him, quoting the very things that Malachi had said, and he said, now this is all going to happen to your son. Imagine hearing that. Your son's Elijah, who's coming to prepare the people for the great and terrible day of the Lord. Your son. And, and he prophesied this, and uh, it's just an amazing prophecy when you compare the two of them together. But uh, uh, these people couldn't conceive. That's the major part of the story. They're relatives of, of Mary and Joseph, and uh, there's some great, great stuff in chapter 1. And it talks about the birth of John the Baptist. But I want to go to verse 80, the very last verse of chapter 1. It says, And the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the desert or the wilderness places till the day of his manifestation to Israel. So God has sent a voice, a prophet, except 30-some years go by, and they don't even know that it's happening because he's, he's out in the middle of nowhere. And here's what I picture. I'll tell you what's in my heart. I picture Zachariah and Elizabeth being good moms and dads, and they've got this unusual son who the Spirit is upon. And he's an unusual son who's, who's really given to God. But he's not given to the system. He's not given to the priesthood. He's not... He's not uh, Interested in, in like being Samuel, where he's a keeper in the, in the house of the Lord. He's not, he heads off into the wilderness. I've seen some of this wilderness. There's no trees there. It's just, it looks like, it looks like the moon. It looks like a moonscape of just craters. And, and, and it, it looks like the badlands of America. I mean, it's a desert, hot desert place. And that's where he would take off. Even from a little boy. Can you imagine your son taking his rucksack and saying, Mommy, I'll see you later. And all day long he's gone and, and you don't know where he's at. He's left the house and he comes back and maybe a little more sunburnt. But He's just been out in the wilderness. And, and you say, Johnny, where, where have you been? What do you been? He said, I've just, I've just wanted to be with God. And from a child, he grew in spirit. He grew spiritually. And you see him as you know, a 15-year-old, and, and uh, uh, he's not come home. And you look in his bed, and his bed's made, but hasn't been touched for days. And, and he comes back with his little knapsack, and he said, where have you been all week? He said, well, I've just, I've been out hearing from God. God's speaking to me, Mom. God's speaking to me. He's doing something in me. And in order to lead people into repentance, you have to be a good repenter. And so 
God was peeling him like an onion out there. God was speaking to him and manifesting himself. Can you picture him like Elijah? Elijah had experiences with God in the cave. And if you can imagine, this is the same kind of experience where John's just out there by himself as a teenager, by himself. And, and God's speaking to him, giving him a revelation of baptism and says, now when you, when you invite people to come forward in order to show that they've had a change of heart, they have to submit to you laying them down in the water in front of everybody and publicly confessing their sin. There has to be an actual response to the word. And he gave them the concept of baptism, which had never existed before. The Essians weren't doing it. I've heard that. And they say the Pharisees. No one, no one was doing it. It was a revelation from God. And John's getting concepts and being prepared, being peeled so that he can bring, now listen now, a single young man bringing the entire nation back to God without a political change. Politics is going to be Roman as usual. It's not a political solution that the people need. It's a voice. It's a voice. And God wants to bring the nation back to himself. All he needs is one young person completely committed to him. That's all he needs. One, one young person with the Holy Spirit, and he can bring the entire nation back to himself without any political change. It's an amazing concept that God would come up with this and, and I often wondered, if you want to go to, Malachi, uh, go to um, Matthew chapter 3, I often wondered how this happened. You know, it's not, like, it's not like God sent John to the, the downtown Jerusalem. It's not like he sent him to the pinnacle of the temple and he'd raise his voice there. John's out in the wilderness, and it is a it is a hot, thirsty, dry, desolate, lonely place. And he's out there, and he says, how am I going to bring the whole nation to you? And God has this plan. He says, I'm going to bring the entire nation to you. John doesn't move. I don't know how it happened. But it says here in Matthew chapter 3, it says that, that uh, verse, verse 5 says, uh, all of Jerusalem, all of Judea, and all the region round about went out to hear him. So if you can imagine the entire city, and then all of the, the country of Judea, and then all of the surrounding area beyond that, all go out to the wilderness. I, I wonder, I thought, how would that happen? And I could just picture John, he's out there doing what he's always doing. He's worshiping God. He's, he's uh, approaching God, he's talking to God, he's cultivating a relationship with God. I don't know if some Bedouin, there are Bedouin in that area even to this day, I don't know if some Bedouin were going by and they met John and all of a sudden they, they, they carried his message back and some people caught I'm not sure exactly how it happened. Maybe some traders coming from Jordan, they were going by and they meet this guy. Can you picture it? You, can, you, you can't even hear crickets, it's so quiet. Just the wind, and there's this young guy out there, and you're traveling through, you're trying to get through this hot land, and all of a sudden you meet this young man. And the people make out, the movies make John out as a little crazy, but people who spend time with God in the wilderness are as sane as you can possibly imagine. 
And he's just a sane and noble. In fact, later on they came to him, they said, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Because he looked like a king. He walked like a king. He talked like a king. He looked like a king, not a crazy man. And he would tell them about the Lord and what he was learning about the Father's heart and the mercy of God and the kind of person God is. And people began to weep and people began to, all of a sudden, like they're, they're, all the hardness was just being scraped away and a new tenderness was there. And they said, you know, I've never felt this way about God before. I've never been interested in him. He, I, he doesn't like me. I don't like him. But after listening to John, and John explains God in a way that they'd never heard before, they say, how can I get what you have? And John says, come with me. Takes him down to the Jordan River. They confess your sins. And they began confessing their sins, and John would take them and lower them down in the water. And when they come out, God would meet them with a sense of being right with him that they'd never had before. They felt different on the inside. Something changed. And if you imagine those people, those traders or village folk who are out on a, on a trek, picture them going back to their village, and people see them for the first time, and they look at them, and they said, what, what's happened to you? you you look like you've been, have you been, have you been to a, a spa? You look younger. You, your face, you look 10 years younger. Just something has been peeled away from you. And, and what is it about you? And the guy can't stop crying. And he says, well, I was coming from Jordan, and I was coming through the wilderness. I was coming, making my way back up to Jerusalem, and I met this guy. What kind of guy? Well, he's, he's a guy, he's just this young guy. He's out there, and he told me about God in such a way, he explained God to me in such a way that I wanted him. I, I would do anything. I would say anything. I'd confess anything. I'd do anything just to get what he had. And he laid me down in the, he, why? He laid me down in the water. He laid me down in the water. I don't know what that's all about, but when I come out, I felt different. They said, where, where is this guy? He's, he's out there. Like, how can I find him? Why? Just, just go down south and you'll come to a rock and turn left and he's out there somewhere. You just have to find him. Just go. Because it's changed my life. And someone would go and they'd come back and they didn't want to party anymore and they didn't want to eat pork chops anymore and they didn't want to... They didn't want to go to that dead old synagogue because they had been scraped. Their heart had been scraped of all the hardness, of all the, the layers, of the lens of their eyes have been cleansed, been wiped clean. And they can see. They can see spiritual things that they never saw before. And they had a sense of God that they never had before. And they just, they would go back to their home and try to go back to work. And everyone's looking at him. He's in the, he's in the shop working away. And people are saying, that guy's different. He looks different. Something's happened to him. And then they crowd around him at lunchtime. They say, where have you been? What have you been doing? What's happened? He says, guys, I don't know. I can't just stand around telling jokes and swearing and doing the stuff that I used to do. Well, what happened to you? Well, I don't know. I, I met this guy. And this guy made God come alive in a way I'd never seen before. Made God like, he told me God loved me. I never heard anyone say, the, the rabbi has never said, God loves me. 
And he said that before he laid me down in the water. He laid you what? He laid you down in the water? What's that all about? I don't know. He just said I had to do it. But I'm so glad I did because when I come out, I just felt new. I just felt the sky got bluer, the grass got greener. I mean, just it just looked different. Yeah, how can I get what you have? Well, you got to go see. You got to go out to the wilderness. And if you can imagine, this started spreading from neighborhood to neighborhood throughout Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, people are slinking off in the night. They got their whole family. They got everything on their donkey and their, and their tent and their sleeping bags, their camping equipment. And they're heading out of Jerusalem. And they look behind them, and there's a steady stream of people heading out of Jerusalem. In fact, there's pathways now heading to the wilderness, almost like a road, a highway that's being created out of Jerusalem, and thousands of people are packed up, and they can hear, you know, you go to work, uh, you go to work on uh, Monday, and you say, where have you been? Well, I just, I went to the wilderness again. I had to hear this guy. He's out there preaching. He's describing God in ways I'd never heard before. He said, there are thousands, thousands of us camping. We just burrow these little holes and pull our blankets up on sticks and, and we would just sit there and we just listen to him. And he's, he's saying things that we'd never heard. No rabbi has ever preached like this. This guy's a prophet. He's a prophet. We haven't had a prophet for hundreds of years. This guy's a prophet. You got to hear him. And that word of mouth kind of spreads so that all of Jerusalem... All of Judea and all of the region roundabout went to hear John. Everybody. The Romans went down to hear John. They're standing there in their gear and they got their swords and they got their spears and the riot gear and they're standing there and they call out to John. They say, what, what, what must we do? He says, you need to repent too. Stop, stop extorting people. Be content with your wages. prostitutes there by the thousands and they would cry out and they say what we've been living in porn all these years how do we get free of this they say, come come to the waters come in and they would confess their sins by the thousands publicly they just wanted to abandon their sins let's get rid of it let's say it let's deal with it let's move on to God with God and they all would come, and people would come down there by the hundreds of thousands. And, and now, at times, there's like two million people. And John climbs up on his pulpit rock, and he starts preaching. And when he'd preach, liquid waves of the glory of the Lord, because he's preaching the kingdom of God. And waves of glory would pass over the people. And when you'd feel it, you just lose all your strength and you just collapse. And all you can do is think of God and cry out and worship him and tell him you love him and tell him you want him and tell him you want more. And there'd be another wave that would just slay the people. In the vision of the missionary that came to our school, he said people were laid like pickup sticks all over the ground. He said, except on this escarpment, there was a, a row of black-robed men with their, their arms crossed the, across their chest, resisting the very move of the Spirit, resisting the very move of God. He said they looked like a row of rotten teeth. And they're the Pharisees. 
they've come down. The rabbis, the priests, the Pharisees, they've come because they've heard that this guy is out there preaching. It's different. And the whole nation, you can imagine your rabbi on, on, on Saturday, you know, you've, you've been to church and, and, uh, and, and maybe you missed a couple and you say, he says, where have you been? And by the way, you look great. You look different. Well, we, we went and heard this prophet. You don't go hear him. Don't have anything to do with this guy. Why would you go hear him? Why would you go hear this stranger out in the wilderness? Well, I, I, all I know is I felt this magnetic pull. I had to. I felt I had to. I felt, I felt God wanted me to. Amazing time. Months of this go by. Maybe a couple years where the whole nation is going out there. And the Pharisees are looking down their nose. They're watching their people submitting to some right that, that is just so abstract, so different, so unique. And it has to happen. You must do it. You have to do it. And they will not comply. They will not submit to it. And John would raise his voice and preach and tell people about the kingdom of God. And they cornered him one day. And they said, tell us, tell us plainly, who are you? Who are you? Are you the Christ? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? See, Moses had prophesied that a prophet like me would be raised up, and it was prophet with a capital P. And he's going to come, and you must obey him. And they said, are you, are you the prophet? And he said, I'm not. They said, are, are you Elijah? Because they had read Malachi. Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. They said, who are you? He said, I'm a voice. I'm a voice in the wilderness. I'm what I, and he doesn't, he doesn't quote Isaiah as a reference. He just says, I'm a voice preparing the way. I'm a voice creating highways. I'm leveling off this. I'm filling up that. I'm preparing the way for the coming of the Lord. And people know this guy. He's living a fasted life. He's got a congregation of two million people, yet he's not, get, he's not milking it. He's not taking up offerings. He's living on, he's being sustained by locusts and honey. Not because he's crazy, but because he's so content with the provision of God, and he's living with such simplicity. He's living with natural clothing, like a camel's, camel hair uh, uh, garment to, sh to show a great humility. Because those who are rich were coming down in purple, they're coming down in these gorgeous embroidered robes, and there's John just ordinary. There's John just plain, just simple. Not, not man-made, God-made. Content with having this massive congregation of people who will do anything he says. But he doesn't milk it. He's not taking advantage of it. He's not living off of this thing. He's, he's content with the provision of God. He's being sustained by God. He's living a, a fasted life because he doesn't want anything. He's tapped in the power of God, and he doesn't want anything to take away from that because people need to repent. People need to come back to God. I will go without if, it, if my people will come back to God. I'll do anything for them to come back to God. And while they're, they're confronting them, they said, are you the Christ? Are you the one that's to come? 
because he looked like a he looked like a king. And he says, "No, I'm not." But there's one among you, present tense, not someday. There's one among you that God has sent. And he says, I'm not worthy to, uh, I've come baptizing with water. He's going to come baptizing with the Holy Spirit. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. I can't, I'm not worthy to, this guy is so great. And I'm so nothing. John was incredibly humble. He says, I'm nothing. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals, his shoelaces. And he said that, and Jesus walks by. And John, out of, out, of, out of a gush of his heart, he says, Behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And he begins pointing his disciples and pointing the questioners to Jesus. Jesus is there camping. He's doing what everyone's done. He's, he's in on this because God required it of the nation. The only people who are resistant are the Pharisees, some of the rabbis, some of the priests, but the, the Jesus, he's getting in on it. And the next day, he submits the baptism. And John looks at him and says, I need your baptism. I need what you have. John's incredibly humble. And Jesus said, yes, but God requires this, so let's do this for righteousness' sake. And John lowered Jesus, and, and it's his cousin. And he lowers him down in the water, and he brings him out. And this movement caught his eye, and this, this kind of peaceful light comes and rests upon John. And, and, and John says, man, the one who called me to baptize, who told me about baptism, he said someday... The Holy Spirit's going to come upon someone and, and, and stay on them, and you'll see it, and you'll know that's the one. He said, this is the one. And Jesus began to preach, and he began to preach about the kingdom of God, and he began baptizing people by the thousands. They started flocking to him, again, down that hot, desert, lonely, treeless landscape. And they came to John and said, aren't you bummed by that? Aren't you upset? That guy, he's preaching your message? He's preaching the same message as you. He's baptizing more people than you. And John said, he must increase, I must decrease. Just tremendous humility. Incredible humility. Well, what's interesting about all of this, the reason we would want to talk to you this Sunday morning about John the Baptist is because God wants you to be a John the Baptist. When Malachi prophesied this, it's interesting. He described someone coming like Elijah. He's going to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and hearts of their children to their father. Restoration, which is going to change the nation. And he described it as something, a move of God that was going to happen and it was going to come before the great and terrible day of the Lord, which we understand is the coming of God. And, and it happened, and, and it happened exactly the same as Malachi said, and as the angel, the angel stood beside the altar and prophesied to, to Zechariah the priest and said, this is what your son's going to do. The Holy Spirit's going uh, to uh, fill him. He's going to influence him, and, and he's going to turn the nation back to God by turning families 
hearts of fathers back to their kids, and he's describing the whole thing exactly the way Malachi. It's almost like God was speaking to Malachi. There's a pause. 400 years go by, and when God starts speaking again, he's speaking the same thing Malachi said. It's like a conversation just picked right back up again. But what's interesting is all of that happened for the coming of the Lord, and Jesus says, I'm coming again. I'm coming again. The great and terrible day of the Lord is yet to come. What he said was going to happen that would prepare the hearts of people to come back to God was this Malachi, this Malachi prophecy was a kind of a, uh, an Elijah generation, an Elijah movement. And it's not going to happen where there's going to be one John the Baptist that's going to come and start preaching. There's going to be millions of John the Baptist coming who are humble, who understand the kingdom, who understand repentance, who understand the voice of the Lord. And there's going to be this movement of simple, humble, ordinary people who aren't in it to milk the movement for what, it, what they can get out of it. They just want people to come back to God. And that movement, that Elijah movement, now listen, this has this come down to you is going to happen again before Jesus comes back. They're going to prepare the way for Jesus coming back. And it's not going to be an individual. It's going to be a movement, a generation of people. Now, if this isn't the last generation, your kids, are, your kids very likely are the last. I mean... Peter got up on the day of Pentecost and started prophesying that this was the last days. That was 2,000 years ago. It's been the last days for 2,000 years. Peter preached these are the last days. Paul started preaching like these are the last days. It's a wonderful thing to get that vision inside of you. Someone has to let that in your heart, and you can say, what if I'm wrong? So what? What? What if we lived as if this is true? What if you lived as if this was, what if you let that notion into your heart that you are the last generation on earth? Would you live differently? Would you, would you love differently? Would you love your family differently? Would you love people differently? Would you raise your voice differently? Would you speak up for God differently? John had a boldness. You can imagine he's standing, he's standing, uh, knee-deep in a, in a stream. And there's all these people who've been listening to what he has to say. And all of a sudden on the horizon, you see this dust coming down out of Jerusalem. You see this dust. And you can see for a long ways in this wilderness. You see this dust. And everyone, it catches everyone's eye because everyone's just coming down as families and on foot. And now this is different. And as they look, the dust starts to take shape, and they see that there's horses with plumes, and there's runners ahead, and this is a massive carriage, big, shiny, black carriage coming. And people look at each other, and they know what that means. That means the king of Israel is coming. The, everyone has to come here, John. And Herod, he could summon John all day to come to him. John's not moving. He's staying in his pulpit. He's staying in his place where God, he, God brought the entire nation to obscurity. Is a move of God, unlike anything you could imagine, because everyone came to him, including the king. 
Imagine the moment, and everyone starts looking at each other like, here comes the king. Even the king has to hear and see what John is doing. I wonder if John will treat us differently or treat him differently than he did us. He told us to repent. He told us to lay down in the water. He told us that we needed to forsake our sinful ways. He told us about an axe being laid to the root of the tree. This king is wicked. I wonder what John will say to the king. Can you imagine? It's like the governor or the president is coming to your meeting. Do you, do you have church per usual? Do you sing the same songs? Do you do the same stuff? Do we break up in quads of four and pray for people when the president is in the midst or when the governor is in the midst? It's that kind of moment. And John is so free because he's so caught up in a sense of God being king again. He has this deep, deep awareness that when you have that, you don't care for any earthly king. You're not impressed by any, any person of privilege or person of prestige or person of position. It means nothing to you. It meant nothing to John. They pulled up, and everyone's tense. What's he going to say? And John's first words that he preaches to the king, he calls him by name. And he says, the woman sitting beside you is your brother's wife. Philip, well, they've been married for a long time, but he's still calling him his brother's wife. And when he said that, she said within his, her heart, I'll kill him. I'll, I'll kill him. He embarrassed me in front of everyone. I'll kill him. And the first chance that she could, she did. Off came his head. I want his head on a silver platter. Because he said things that hurt her. He said things that were contrary to what the rabbis were saying and the Pharisees were saying. John was his lone voice speaking something that was right before God, and she hated him for it. You'll have to preach some things. You'll preach some things, listen now, you'll have to, in order for you to be a part of this movement, you're going to have to preach some things that are not socially acceptable. You're going to have to preach some stuff that goes cross-thread with everything else that the, even other churches are preaching. They're going to say, what's wrong with you? What's, what's wrong with your head that you would say that? You believe this way. You say, well, I just want to be right with God. I just want people to come out of their sin. I want people to live for God. Not some people, all people. I've been dreaming. I've had two dreams. I dream I got a chance to talk to the governor, sit down and talk to the governor of New York. I'd love to do that. I wish that would happen. I wish I could have a private conversation where I can engage him and confront him. I just feel John the Baptist these days. I'd feel John the Baptist-like. Then I had another dream that I had a chance to talk to Trump. I'd love to talk with him. I wonder, what I, I wonder how, well I'd, how far I'd get. I don't see myself as anything except I'm willing. I think we have to, listen now, I think a whole new boldness has to come into our hearts. I think a whole new John the Baptist boldness against sin, against, against the, the, the moral decline of our culture. Something has to happen that changes us before we can change the nation. Something has to happen in Penn before I can change anybody. 
a willingness to speak up, a willingness to be a voice, a willingness to say what's right, but with mercy. See, when John said it, he said it with such love that God can confirm it with waves of mercy that cause the people to fall before God and want him. You can't threaten people into the kingdom. You can't threaten people into the kingdom. They will not come. You can preach fire and damnation. That's how they've, they, that's how they've characterized John. I can't stand to watch a movie that introduces him because it's always off. It's always different than the vision I carry in my heart. I don't think he was threatening anybody. I think he was inviting. I think he was inviting, and it was an invitation. An invitation that they'd never heard from any rabbi, that they'd never heard from any Pharisee. An invitation so loving, so gracious, so attractive, they couldn't say no. It was like someone got a hold of their shirt and was pulling them down into the desert, down into the water, and they gladly submitted because it never felt so right in their life. What about you? Do you believe that Jesus is coming back? And that before he comes back, a highway has to be built. A highway, a highway where stuff is leveled and stuff is filled up. And, there, and it's a preparation, a deep preparation for the, for the return of Christ. Do you believe it or not? I don't think he can just come back with this mess. I, I, think, I think he's expecting a revival. I think he's expecting a harvest. I think he's expecting an end time move of mercy. It's going to sweep this nation and sweep the world in ways that has never happened before. But it's not going to come because one person has raised their voice. There's no celebrity person like John coming back. There's nothing like that. It's going to be you and me or nothing. It's not like angels are going to come and declare the gospel. They can't. They've never been redeemed. They can't preach it. Only the redeemed can say so. Only the people who've repented could call people to repentance. Do you want in on this? Listen now, if it's not this generation, us, it's your kids. It has to come, this thing has to come to an end. It can't continue. It has to come to an end. And it's been going on and on for 2,000 years because God is incredibly gracious. And what he's been doing for 2,000 years is he's had whole movements, John the Baptist movements, generation by generation. You can call them Lollards, where they're part of the Wycliffe movement. You can call them Waldessians. You can call them Luther's uh, movement. You can call them Wesley's movement. You can call... It was always some group of young guys who would go out and they'd preach. It, it, it had to be like a finny had to be like a Whitfield, someone who was just some skinny little guy who's out there preaching righteousness and the nation is slayed like, like a sickle going through the hay. And that has happened for generation after generation until now. Something big is coming. Something big is coming. I want in on it. I don't want to coast. I want in on it. Do you? And if it's, not, if it's not us, let's be deceived thinking that it's us, living differently. Because if it's not us, it's our kids. It's, it's got to be this close. It's got to be now. It's got to be soon. 
Don't you think? Don't you think that what's happening in the news, what you're seeing, is all, all the enemy's great thrust to try to wreck things and try to prevent things from happening? And you get out there and you preach righteousness, you preach baptism, you, you preach uh, anti-porn uh, an anti-porn movement. You're just going to be so different. Your voice is going to be so different than every other voice that's out there. God's looking for someone who's different, not someone who's crazy. Someone who's kingly, someone who's noble, someone who's righteous, someone who's a repenter, someone who's humble, someone who's so dependent on God for his livelihood, so dependent on God that he's clothed with humility. God is looking for a people. Is there anybody here who wants to be in on this? You can say, well, we, we live in Penyan. That's like, that's like the middle of nowhere. People, it's, there's, it does, there's no roads. It does, it's not on the way to anything. It's not. How are we going to do anything in Penyan? Well, that's where John started. He just started in his Penyan. He started in obscurity. He started in Winesburg, Ohio. I mean, what, what good thing can come out of Winesburg, Ohio? Is it even on the map? Just barely. I think we're ripe if we'll repent. We're ripe for a move of God. We're, we're ripe for a revival. We're ripe for something we've never seen before. And God's looking for young people. He's looking for people who are willing. He's looking for people who want the kingdom of God to come. That's all they think about. That's all they care about. If you're not there right now, let's pray. Let's say, God, bring me there. Make a highway in me. Level some stuff in me. Fill some gaps in me. Do some road work on me. Bring out your heavy equipment. Do something to me. Change me, mold me, shape me. But I want to be part of your, what you're doing to prepare this country and prepare our nation for Jesus to return. There has to be a people. It's the angels aren't going to do it. It's not going to be TV preachers. Benny Hens not going to do it. It's not, it's, not, it's not all those named people who are going to do it. I think the next move of God involves us. Ordinary, plain, simple, humble people. Untrained people. I think that's the key to the... I think that's the strategy of the Lord. Amen. Let's stand. Let's stand together. If I were you today, I'd find some place to snuggle up with your Bible. I'd read Malachi. Then I'd go to Luke chapter 1, and I would just see the comparison. Catch a vision for this. Lord, you're pointing us to John, and John pointed us to you. We want to be like John Father, in that we want to point people to Jesus. We want people to come to know you, know your great love. We want people to know the sanity and the wonder, the peaceableness of your kingdom. We want people to know how to get into it. We want their lenses to be cleansed. Father, would you use me? I'll give you my voice.
Make me not afraid. Make me not care about what other people think. Free me from the bondage of being sociably acceptable. Free me from the bondage of being politically correct. Oh God, free me from that. Give me a vision of the kingdom that's so great that that political correctness can be expunged from my heart and life. But Father, I don't want to be weird. I want to be sane. I want to be used by you. I want to be filled with your spirit, oh God, for my generation. Lord, use me. Give me a vision. Give me a vision. Whatever you did in John, help me to get alone with you. Help me to get out to wilderness places now where I can hear your voice and get a sense of who you are. Help me to take time to be with you, to abide with you. I want to make a difference for this generation, oh God. Help me. Take me there. Get me there. I can't, I can't do this by myself. Draw me, oh God. Draw me, Lord. Use my business. Use my family. Use my home. Use, use anything you can. But use me to draw people to know you. In Jesus' name.